<laughs> Welcome back to the show, everybody. I saw the little light coming on, and I'm like, I can't, I, I can't have a, have a reply to that. Like, <laughs> that, way, like that you said out and mean, because then you could just, you'll, you'll just re- like refute it. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. My name's Kevin. With me, as always, is my co-host Marcus Rochford. Marcus, how you doing? Welcome back to the show. Yeah, goddamn son of a bitch. <laughs> But de- but God damn but it! God if you damn don't- you look if you don't look good in those pants, you get the job done, Green. You're reinstated. <laughs> well, you killed an entire town of Iraqis, but God damn, you look good doing it. You're hired. But we're Americans. You're hired. <laughs> Once you put the flag in the ground, it's all good with me. But I didn't put the flag in the ground. I used it to kill someone else. <laughs> Oh my God, he's they're, they're ground. They're they're gonna be ground at some point. <laughs> Welcome back to the force. <laughs> Big like 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 manly uh, fist pump like in Predator. Oh yeah, the handshake, two, two, the two arms, two muscly arms. <laughs> We're bad cops, man. <laughs> <laughs> We're bad people. <laughs> the American government. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to be an American. <laughs> this is a weird song that we've come up with, and a weirder character that we're sticking to. Marcus, we're we're back in listen, le- listen, level listen. five. We're yeah. we're living in that level five world once again. Oh. You know, it's it's you Why? against the world. You son of a bitch, Marcus! Give me back my life. <laughs> Clearly, you're you're distraught of it. Give me back my wife. <laughs> Listen, what you do in your own time outside of the podcast complete, is your business. It's completely underrated to the lockdown. I'm just having marital issues. <laughs> <laughs> I want my family back. <laughs> Give me back my family. <laughs> I didn't I, kill my wife. I don't care. <laughs> I used that in my last video. Uh, the Family Guy, Harrison Ford screaming at people to come back his family. <laughs> <laughs> the dog's just licking his face. No. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's we're we're we've we've just gotten through week one of six. No, we um, have we? Yeah, no, we've well, gotten through a week. It started on Wednesday. Wednesday. Yes. Sorry. Um, it's it's Sunday now. Mm. We haven't even gotten through. We listen we're in this shit to the second of sep- of December. We're almost through week one. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I've already receded back to my. Uh, original form in uh, the first lockdown. I mm-hmm. uh, put on a hundred pounds. I have started baking breads again, even though I don't know uh, who's going to eat them. Um, I've also gotten an Amazon account and have ordered shit that I'll probably never use. Mm-hmm. Jeff mm-hmm. Bezos is, uh, is, is laughing all the way to the bank whilst uh, abusing his workers' rights. And, uh, like I'm the American hero he yeah. is. <laughs> He's the real impaler of flags, but they're not the America flags. They're Amazon. <laughs> oh lord! <laughs> oh lord! But yeah, uh, yeah. I actually, I actually bought something off Amazon for the first time ever. Wow! What, what was the? What was? Uh, what? What, what well, popped your cherry? I bought, two, I bought two things. Uh, I bought a card holder. Okay. With a money clip on the back because uh, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to use a wallet again. <laughs> 
Fair just enough. for sanitary reasons. Yeah. Uh, it's a metal. It's a metal plated uh, card holder, and it's nice. It's nice. It fits all my cards and my monies in it. Mm. Uh, and I bought myself a new laptop uh, battery, which hasn't arrived yet, but it, it's it's bound to arrive at some point because About this time. one is this one's gone kaput. See, that's the difference between you and I. Like, you're just like, I'm, I'm dipping my toes into the, the, the world of online shopping. And I'm like, yeah, bitch, I bought a 4K monitor. Did you buy a 4K monitor? I did. <laughs> Proud of you, bro. Proud oh, yeah. of you. Bro. It's it. like, this motherfucker has 2.1 surrounds and biatch. So what are you going to do with the, the monitor you have? Is this just going to be a second one? Just no, it's way too shit. big for that. It's, it's uh, going to my younger sister. Ah, who needed a new tally so i was just like listen this is like 2k so it's still pretty good it's, it's basically a television but you can hook yeah. your laptop to it so well she's gonna use the old apple tv because we're we're privileged like you're very privileged very i know privileged. i'm checking it though so that means y'all y'all y- 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 can't y'all can afford disney plus and mulan at the same time <laughs> <laughs> I was shocked by the implication that that we could afford such luxury. Uh, Realistically, though, I was choking on my water while I was reorganizing apps on my desktop. So you know, I was just like, "Holy shit! I have Far Cry Blood Dragon on this." Nice and fruity yeah, I'm loops. Think, I'm, I'm thinking of get. Well, I have to get all my Christmas presents in, and I've literally covered everybody. But I ha- uh, recently, I've had trouble with trying to get a PayPal account started. Yeah. So there's like so many things on my list that I have to get when I get the PayPal started. But it's mm. it, that's what's really holding me back. Yeah. Uh, what what else? Uh, that's uh, I, I like. There's a couple of. I've been really trying to watch more films lately, and mm. we'll get to the movie minute now in, in, in a second. But like, there's been a been big influx of films that have just come out that like that are on different streaming sites that I wasn't expecting to come out so soon. I thought Borat was going to be out in another month for some reason. No, they just dropped it, man. They just <laughs> dropped it. Uh, what else just dropped? Uh, well, The Mandalorian's coming out soon. Yeah, you know what's leading at the box office right now? Wasn't it's still it's not tenant still is it? No, it's been dethroned. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what's 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 out. I don't think you'll <laughs> get it. <laughs> um, fuck. Oh, go on, go on. Uh, I don't know if you remember back to uh, my top ten shows of the decade, but one of them was a little anime called Demon Slayer. And the it's film, just got a movie? yeah, it just got a movie that's uh, dominating it's number one in the box office, the global box office. Yes, <laughs> the global box office. Yeah, <laughs> fuck. I thought you were gonna be like the US box office. No, just because nothing's been released, man. So you're telling me like an anime that would have just been released on like Amazon Prime as like a spin-off movie is now the the, the highest grossing film of the week. The, a, a film I was, you know, excited to see, but like, kind of like, oh, I'll get to it when I get to it. Is now, it, yeah, it's one of those ones. Yeah, like, it's just like I know I need to watch it before season two, but you know, I'm, not, I'm in no rush. I want to get like a good sub uh, before I do that. But yeah, how about that? <laughs> Weird that's, world that's we're living amazing. in. Amazing. Uh, amazing. Uh, I'm sure yeah. it's good. 
<laughs> I've tried. I've listened to a couple of albums uh, yeah. recently. I think last week I, I recommended Dorian Electra's uh, new album, My Agenda, which I bought the vinyl of uh, a couple of days ago. You did. And, you did. I remember that. Uh, and that, that, that's a great album. But I think I've actually listened to what is my album of the year. Oh wow! Which is uh, Clippings uh, Visions. Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> the fuck the, 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 this album and the album before it had re, two really long names uh, I think it's called Visions of Bodies Burning mm. uh, hold on let me, let, let me th- uh, look it up here the, the first album that they did that I really liked from last year well it's not the first album but the, the, these two albums are connected to each other was called There Existed an Addiction to the Blood mm-hmm. and this one's like a sequel to that album because it literally like the the uh, the, the run out numbers and uh, the sides are the exact same so the two of them are meant to be played like together mm. uh, and it's called I think it's called Visions of Bodies Being Burned yeah Visions of Bodies Being Burned yeah and it is hardcore <laughs> it is brilliant yeah like, it is actually like it's, it's even better like I thought because I really liked the first album because it had a lot of Carpenter-esque influences in it mm-hmm. like the, 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 the like they literally had a video that was like a homage to Halloween it was called uh, Nothing Is Safe, and it has a very synthy Carpenter soundtrack to it. Yeah, and it's about like a, a drug den being shot up by police, and all these uh, crack addicts being like brutally murdered. So it's a comedy. It's a comedy, yeah, one hundred percent. But like uh, <laughs> the, this new album is like it, it. It looks at like horror tropes, looks like at like Afrofuturism, and it just looks at the state of America all together in this like really one big horrific noisy hip hoppy like ball of of mass cool and it's great it's a fantastic experience yeah um but yeah like uh they they have a, a song on it the, the, the title song well it's not even the title song it's called say my say the name but it has the line visions of bodies being burned in the sample of it yeah um is great uh, it's fantastic. They also have a song on it, like a, a, all their features on it, like where like they have people on it called "96 Neve Campbell," which is about the final girl. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's basically about like how like it, it, what if the vi- the final girl was like uh, like in a, in a horror movie. You know, well, people don't know what the final girl is. It's basically like the the female character in a slasher <laughs> film that's left alive at the end. Yeah, the one that like kills off the the monster in the end of it jamie lee curtis and halloween is the like primal example of that uh but like the, the 96 neve campbell is about you know neve, neve campbell and, and scream but it's about if neve campbell's character in scream was like a hood girl cool <laughs> and it's 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 and like it has two two different female rappers on it it's really interesting and the whole album like is just banger after banger uh and it doesn't really it, like what i didn't like about the first album was that there's like some some it's a bit overly indulgent in places like literally the last track on the first album is like a 15 minute uh track of just a piano burning holy shit <laughs> it's just a piano on fire and you can just hear like little crackles of the the keys every once in a while on it uh, <laughs> and it's a bit overindulgent from my, from my taste and a bit overly uh story saturated with like descriptions and uh, this one kind of takes a backseat with that where every song has its own thematic purpose in it but it all works together to create like a bigger woven tapestry so yeah visions of bodies being born by clipping also and this is the reason why i'm mentioning this uh the lead singer of the band is uh davy diggs who if you don't know he's out of hamilton and he's out of uh that tv version of uh 
fucking Snowpiercer. He plays the lead in that. Mm. He's a, he's actually like it's 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 kind of like he's kind of like the Eric Andre of the music world, <coughs> where like Eric Andre's done a bunch of this shit that's like mainstream. Yeah, and then he has this like artistic like side project <laughs> that's like him like fully realized as an individual, like an, as an artistic individual. Mm-hmm. You know, where like David Diggs and Eric Andre like doing doing press for like a Disney. Like remember Eric Andre doing press for the Lion King, and he's completely like, he's totally completely muted in it. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to him do, like promoting his own album under the uh, what's the, like the title is like Blarf. <laughs> it's the name his name of his, uh, his musical alter ego mm-hmm. and he is like full-on memeage he's just full-on like taking the piss he's just like oh i will suck any man's dick <laughs> to get a fucking record contract <laughs> so yeah Certainly sounds like eric andre <laughs> definitely he, he, he keeps saying i'm not eric andre but i will suck any man's dick <laughs> fair uh, enough then <laughs> uh but uh yeah so I have that. I have a, like a shopping list of presents to get, and I have a shopping list of vinyl to get because they, they, nothing else money's gonna be getting spent on nothing else. So yeah. I might as well make up a list of that. But Marcus, I looked at your. I saw your Instagram, by the way. Just now. I had a look at your. No, it's like I, I haven't been looking at anybody's Instagram. Yeah. Like I, I, when I told people I have an Instagram, like they're like, "Oh, why don't you add me and all that?" I'm like, "I don't, I don't go on it." So that's it. But when you like when we had our correspondence finally on it. Mm. Uh, I got to look at your stuff and like that that uh that midnight album you got looks cool looks very nice. Uh, well, you got, yeah, you got two of them, but this, the first one I think is very nice color. Hang on, let me just check. It's probably are you talking about the latest one? You had it two on be. your Instagram. You have two on your Instagram. Listen, I put a lot in the gram, man. You can't expect me to remember it all. And uh, that uh clear vinyl drive. Oh, that that pink clear vinyl drive soundtrack looks yeah. great as well also if anybody wants to follow me on the gram it's now uh, nostalgia kev just putting mm, that out there nice uh, but like, combining like, the branding of my youtube channel which is just my name and the podcast i host <laughs> yes uh but yeah like i i i really like the uh the, the, those the colors of those vinyls are very yeah. good variants how do they sound good they sound good. Good, yes. And I was thinking to myself, like, oh yeah, man, I should get that. Uh, I should get that color vinyl drive soundtrack. I I already have it. <laughs> I, are, I, I it's sealed. I have a, an original copy of it. Yeah. I just haven't opened it. I don't know if I ever posted any of the uh, Sonic Boom one that uh, or I've Sonic seen CD. The Sonic Boom one. I've seen yeah. the Sonic Boom one. They're they're nice. Well, they're like you split. linked it to me. They're it's nice. really really nice. Yeah, it's like four discs. It sounds amazing. It looks really cool. And now we got the uh, the Cowboy Bebop. Vinyl should be uh, shipping to our to our <laughs> at any moment. It said it says it's shipping in December in November, so Who I can knows, only man. assume that they're they're keeping their promise for that. But at the same time, like there's some like the the clipping album. I don't know where like what what I'm gonna I'm buying that today. I don't know when if if I buy it, <laughs> when yeah. it's gonna turn up. Never. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a weird weird world we're living in, my friend. Um, mm-hmm. Like it might it might arrive really quickly if it's DPD. It might take you know. Like literally, I paid for the fucking the the card holder, uh, and there was a bunch of stuff my ma bought on the same day using mm. a different account. They both arrived at the same time from Amazon. Yeah, makes you so, wonder why why would you even pay for Prime? <laughs> yeah. Um, why? Yeah. Anyway, Marcus, I believe it's time for a song. No. Uh, sure. 
Spin that record, baby. You know what? I should do a remix of it. That's like, uh, let, let you spin me right round, but it's it's <laughs> it's the movie minute song. It's Marcus movie minute right now. <laughs> All I know is that to me, you look like you're lots of fun. Open up those loving reviews. Watch out, here I come. <laughs> You talk some movies, talk them now, like a movie man right now, right now. Like a movie man? the fuck's a movie man? It's you, baby. <laughs> it's always it's been me, you. baby. <laughs> the movie man. The movie minute man. Anyway, what did you watch? Well, I just watched, uh, uh, there's a little tangent here, but I just watched a yeah. uh, f- former uh, guest of the show. Anthony O'Reilly. Oh, uh, what up? Host of the All Right Podcast. Yeah, host of the All Right Podcast. Whenever yeah. that's coming back. I think that's on a hiatus for the time being because he's, he's after making a new film. Yeah. Doing a new short called... Uh, what the fuck's the name of that short film? Is it film? The Hitman? Or, is it the Hitman no, or? no. That, that was a feature he was trying to get uh, yeah. funding for. He made like a COVID-19 movie, if, if I'm correct, called Outbreak or something like that. Cool. Widespread. It's called Widespread. Yeah widespread is the name of the film it's not out yet he hasn't put it out yet he's done a bunch he's done, like he, he was fairly quick in the shooting of it so mm. i'm interested to see like what it looks like uh but he also did a because he's, he's back in college at the moment yeah i've been seeing that a lot in his uh, ig story yeah he's studying uh, cinematography which he's going down the road we went down seven <laughs> years ago basically man can you do you remember that <laughs> nonsense <laughs> But he made like a video. I don't know whether it was for college or not. But he made like a, a, an awareness video for safe driving. Yeah. And I'm not gonna lie. Like, it, it, to be honest, it would be okay. It would actually be good if it had a bit more, you know, uh, visual f- flair in places. It'd be better but, if it was our RSA video. It, it well, <laughs> our RSA video is perfect because we don't even <laughs> we don't even drive in that video. No, you just cross. <laughs> don't even drive in it. The best thing as well is it's mainly you. I'm hardly in it. <laughs> and the way we shot that is like, it kind of looks like an RSA video as well. I, I mean, mean, we're giving a lot of credit on, to like, something that had not a lot of attention given to it. I mean, it does look like it. Like if you, again, I can't watch it, so I don't know where it is, but. Uh, it's somewhere. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, somewhere. In, it's in my Prince vault where I've just got a bunch of stuff for me. I've got YouTube videos I haven't even put out. I did like a whole retrospective on the Metal Gear series you'll never see. Oh man, that's a lie. <laughs> but like the video is kind of funny, mm. and like it, it's trying to be totally serious, and and actually he does a lot of it really well. Like getting it and trying to create the look of an ad and all that, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, he puts text over it, and I feel like the text. If he just took the text out, it'd actually be a much better visual experience because he do less and less on those ads now yeah. to the point where the, the ads are just literally visual like representations of stuff. Uh, but then he also has a bit where, <laughs> where just, I don't know why I find it funny. Like I, I'm guessing it's be, this is because of his reaction and because I've worked with him so many times. Is that yeah. I can't take his performance seriously? I feel like if you watch it, it'd be a different thing altogether. You'd be going, "Oh wow, this is pretty vibrant," and you know, it, it, I actually believe what's happening. But for me, it's just like, "Hey, I've seen that guy like do much, much weirder shit." Yeah, you know what we should do. You, me, and him, we should, we should do, like, a podcast radio drama. <laughs> we should do... We Give should, me all the money! We should do the first podcast sitcom. 
<laughs> that that'd be funny. <laughs> oh, look who it is! And then all you hear is <laughs> We'd have to do it to the audience. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just edited in the sounds later on. <laughs> but it'd be a lot of jokes about visual stuff the audience can't see. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. Oh God, look, it's. It- it's it's a house on fire. You mean you're really gonna go out looking like that? It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with my outfit? Uh, <laughs> Clearly, you've never heard of the style, Mister 1984. <laughs> that little <laughs> laugh. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. So you don't Anyways. like <laughs> you don't like it only because I have eyes. <laughs> I think now is actually the time. To, to do the movie minute, so it—that I, 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 wasn't we are, it. Have we already like we've already done the, the gap in between the, the put in the song? Yeah. So, like people, people have been waiting for the movie minute, been waiting for like long time now. Let's <laughs> <laughs> talk about the movie, man. People have been waiting very long for this. Okay, this week, uh, I think I mentioned this when I was talking about uh, the films last week that I was in the middle of watching Capone. Mm. Um, I finished watching Capone this week. Uh, so Capone, 2020 movie. It was one of the first films to be delayed because mm-hmm. of COVID-19. So much so that they just had to release it online. It's a Redbox exclusive. So deal with that what you will. I don't think anybody's watched it. Uh, Redbox is a, weird, is a weird site. Yeah, that uh, it is. But yeah. It's a Redbox exclusive. It's written, directed, and edited by Just Trank, who, huh. if you remember, is uh, the director of Chronicle from 2015? 2011, is it? I think so. It seems like it's earlier than 15. Chronicle? 2012. I was going to say 2012, but I was like, I was kind of apprehensive. I was like, it couldn't be that long ago. But yeah, yeah. 2012. Uh, and Van Forstick. Uh, and Van Forstick, <laughs> uh, the film to which he's probably most famous of because of his uh, his, uh, con- uh, his condemnation of the entire movie. Yeah, both uh, his behavior TV. during uh, production and his treatment uh, from uh, Fox. Fox. Yeah. Yeah. For his candor on set, his clashes with the cast members mm-hmm. and uh, Fox basically taking the film off and reshooting and re-editing it. <laughs> and not letting him into the editing bay while any of this shit was happening. Yes. Uh, and then, of course, Chronicle's kind of ruined as well just because of uh, who it's connected to. Uh, yeah. Uh, thank you. I forgot his name for a minute. Yeah, Max Landis wrote the screenplay for it. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, like Michael B. Jordan, uh, funnily enough, I was surprised that, like, because Michael B. Jordan was the only person that didn't have a problem with him. The, the, the reason why they talked about Van Forsyth failing was because of your man from. Uh, your man, fucking. Fan, fan, Miles Teller? Miles Teller, yeah, from. Miles Teller in general. Miles Teller <laughs> seemed to be the, the biggest problem on that set for some mm. reason. And I've, I've, like, again, from what I've read, I've heard that is a very hard actor to work with. Um, Which is surprising, because, like, he's not really big enough yet that he can be unreasonable. 
It's just, I think Whiplash just went to his head, like, quite yeah. literally. He got Whiplash, and that was it, like, because he's Whiplash is his best role. It's his most uh, deserved, like, performance to be getting praised for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after that, literally everything he's done has been kind of a waste of time. Uh, yeah. Except for that Nicholas Winding Reference show, but even then, he's not good enough, from what I've heard. Uh, the show is good, but again, the show is it's a Nicholas Wine and Reffin movie, so it's got like pretty big, big pretentious problems about it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like, uh, Josh Trank basically got like I'm, I'm assuming he just got like a, like PTSD or something like that from like he was he had really bad experience with Fan Forestick to the point where he just disappeared for a while. And Capone is his what he considers to be his first actual movie mm-hmm. in parentheses because Chronicle was more of a collaboration project and it was a, a kind of juvenile project as well, even though it's got like a lot to like about it. You know, and I know yeah, I've cut, I enjoy Chronicle a lot. I think it's... Cro- it's... You know, the Chronicles, the only thing that makes Chronicle tarnish is because of the fact it's written by Max Landis, who we, we know now is, a, is just a complete asshole. Yeah. Um, I, but the, actually the filmmaking and the, the acting and, and everything is pretty solid in it. Mm. And, the, and the writing's pretty solid in it, like to give credit to the writing. See, he, he co-wrote the screenplay as well, I think, for Chronicle. Mm. Uh, Capone is a different breed altogether. Like, it's a complete leap in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, like, remember when we compared, like, uh, PTA, when we we're talking about Punch Drunk Love and saying, hey, like, Punch Drunk Love's this big, like, vibrant, you know, exciting film and, it's very fastly paced yeah uh, and it's like and you know like boogie nights and all that's like a kid it's like a kid behind the camera is you just don't know where to put the camera where to look with it mm-hmm. uh and then he, he, t- he takes like a three-year break in between that and punch drunk glove and then comes back with there will be blood mm-hmm. there will be blood's like a the completely opposite turn like pacing wise story wise tone wise everything's completely changed and that's the same thing with uh with capone uh it's shot by Peter Deming, mm-hmm. I think, uh, if I believe so, I'll pull it up. And Peter Deming, if you know who that is, he shot, uh, he shot, he shot a bunch of films. Uh, when I looked at his IMDb, he shot Evil Dead Two. He shot uh, great movie. Yeah, you know, he shot he shot a bunch of films over the last couple of years that I considered uh, good. But he also shot what he's probably most famous for. He shot two David Lynch movies. He shot Lost Highway, which is my favorite David Lynch movie, and he mm. shot. Mulholland Drive, which is my favorite one, which is count the <laughs> canonically my favorite one. Oh, did we lose Mark? Sorry, we lost you there for a minute. Oh, sorry. Uh, th- I said that the soundtrack and the scores by ELP mm. uh, of uh, Run the Jewels. You know, Run the Jewels, aren't you? I do. They're 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 a good hip hop duo. Sometimes on, they, they had a song video uh, that was Rick and Morty. You know, yes, you they did. I do, for better they, they or turn, worse. They turned, they turned, run the jills into pickles. It's the funniest shit I've seen. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, he turns himself into a pickle. <laughs> funniest shit I've ever seen. You sound like Louis Armstrong there, which is funny because Louis Armstrong is in Capone. <laughs> well, then it all worked out quite nicely, didn't it? <laughs> hmm, very proud of myself right now. You're thinking. Um, but yeah, like uh, Tom Hardy, of course, plays Capone in a. Uh, Any good? Uh, his performance in it. Oh, we'll get to that sure. in a second. Uh, Linda Cardellini. 
it plays his wife who she's out of well I know her from she's out of loads of things but she's she's Daphne in the Scooby Doo live action movies <laughs> okay <laughs> So uh, what you're saying is she's got range. <laughs> she's got range. Uh, Matt Dillon's in this as well. That's basically it for like... Oh, mm. yeah, and uh, Kyle MacLachlan is in it as well. Kyle MacLachlan. Kyle, Kyle MacLachlan, who we know from Showgirls and nothing else. <laughs> That's it, guys. Get him out of here. <laughs> Rough him up on the way out. <laughs> Beat him up. Smash his teeth in. <laughs> What did I do to deserve this? You know exactly what you did, Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> ah, stop! You're hurting me. <laughs> I was just trying to work out a character for once, guys. Come on, I'm sick of being the good guy. Too You're late. twisting my arm. <laughs> so yeah, like uh, from what I read there, like a lot of the, you know the names behind it, uh, th- those people behind it, it makes the film out to be good. Mm. Uh, and the positives of the film are that the film does look quite good in a lot of sequences. There's actually three sequences in particular where, like, Capone is in, like, a. It's, they're all, the three of them are, are like dream sequences, flashback sequences, and they all look, like, really good. Yeah. Uh, in particular, a scene where Tom Hardy is, is walking uh, through a crowd, and, like, there's, there's a spotlight on him, but. Uh, the whole like framing of everything makes it look like that like there there is no spotlight on him and there's just these people looking at him for the party and then there's a guy pretending to be Louis Armstrong singing on Blueberry Hill mm. uh, and it, it it looks like a David Lynch film uh, for those scenes like I'm not gonna lie and it feels kind of surreal in a David Lynchy way I'm not saying that the film's trying to be that but like yeah. I, that's it just happens to because. You, Maybe, man's I'm, I'm it. guessing it's because of Peter Deming. Yeah. Just you know, it reminds me of the uh Silencio sequence in Mulholland Drive. Mm-hmm. Uh Tom Hardy has some really good moments in it. Uh his what what I'd say the big detriment to his acting in it is that he kinda goes a little too method in it. Yeah. He kinda goes full brando on this type of deal where like uh he's he's got like a really like smarmy uh voice in it and he speaks half Italian, half English in it. Mm. And then when his body starts to like deteriorate, he, he kinda just his whole body language explained is very emphasized, a little too emphasized for my liking. Yeah. Uh I will say though that like his performance in it is kind of mesmerizing in some sequences. Interesting. It kind of it kind of reminds me of like what did I compare him to uh, when I was watching it? I was like, this reminds me of. He's kind of like um, it kind of reminds me of, like Danny DeVito's the Penguin, the way he walks. <laughs> All right. Uh, and yeah, it's kind of like a weird mix between like like Frankenstein and Danny DeVito in the way that he does everything in it. Weird. Uh, so yeah, and there's there's that his performance are good, now. and then there's moments in it where Tom Hardy like really pulls together, and like shows off like who Al Capone was. Yeah, because most of the film you're kind he's kind of like in the shadow of his former self, mm-hmm. you know. And there's a scene where he kind of loses his shit, and he goes back to being Al Capone, and you and then there's that scene like there's a couple of scenes in it where like the tone on it is actually pitch perfect. Uh, for building tension and make you feel like frightened. Uh, there's another sequence in it uh, following that dream sequence with Louis Armstrong where someone gets murdered in front of him mm-hmm. and his whole reaction to it is really glassy eyed. And it, the, the, the murder is brutal in it, it's absolutely brutal. 
uh, and those sequences I loved. Those sequences I actually really enjoyed watching. And for the rest of the movie, I was like, why, why am I only getting this? <laughs> what? What did I do? This, this bit's good. This bit's good, and this bit's good. And then the rest of it is just boring. Okay. Well, the movie is just slow <laughs> as fuck. Yeah. Like, it's, it, like, they really, like, stretch it out to make it feel like it's about a guy suffering from, uh, like, dementia. Mm-hmm. Or, like, the end of his life. Uh, she, like, fucking Tom Hardy shits himself twice in the movie. And that's probably <laughs> the most exciting bits of the film, apart from the dream sequences. The problem with the movie... Again, me, Tom, it's not right. <laughs> Please. <laughs> the problem with the movie for me, there's, there's three big issues here. One is that there seems to be like a a like a, a parental hold over the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said before, it's written and it's edited and it's directed by Josh Trank. And only one of those jobs that he does is actually done well, which is the directing of it. Mm-hmm. The writing of the film doesn't really make much sense. The dream sequences don't have any effect on the actual story of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and there's like subplots in it, and there's like a backplot about Capone and the relationship with his uh, his uh, his son that he's kind of disowned, and he kind of, his son wants to kind of come back to the fold because his dad's dying. He's dying from, if you didn't know, Al Capone died from neurosyphilis, uh, which was like really bad in, in him by the time he got out of, Al- of uh, Alcatraz. Yeah. Uh, but he, there's that, there's a side, there's like a side subplot in it about the FBI trying to catch him out doing something, monitor him in his final days to make sure that he, he, he's doing something, that he's not doing some, some stuff illegal, that he's not faking it and that he's not, uh, that he uh, has some money stashed that the FBI and the IRS want their hands on. Yeah. He's also chasing after the money, but he doesn't know where he is because he's fucking, he's, he's, he's lost his mind. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot in there in regards to, like, of just bringing out, like, oh, well, everybody's against him. But there's, there's nothing's ever resolved mm-hmm. fully. Nothing's ever never resolved, really. The, by the end of the film, you kind of go through this movie for about, like, 90 minutes. You sit there and you watch it, and you're expecting, like, a big kind of big resolution by the end of it, even if it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. the dream sequence where he goes mad I thought that was actually real I thought that actually happened and that would have been a good ending to the film if it continued on that path but it didn't mm-hmm. it just kind of stopped and then it so ended. then it's kind of like what, what was the point of the story <laughs> what was the entire point of, of the film if, yeah. if there is no actual like substance to it mm-hmm. you know there wasn't even an effect on the character because he, he, he he's still insane in the movie. <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean like he can't move he can't speak by the end of the film uh, Kyle MacLachlan in it is not used well at all. He's kind of like, again, the, the FBI is kind of losing people around Capone to kind of keep tabs on him to find out where this money is. Mm-hmm. Money doesn't exist. The money is just a, it's a red herring, but I don't know what the red herring is for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, not, you know what I mean? So yeah. the, bi- the big issue is that Josh Trank has a big parental hold over this film. He's afraid that something's going to happen if he, has, if he lets anybody else into his creative process, which, you know, by his track record, it makes sense, but it doesn't make good movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the writing of the film is trash. I got, it's, not, it's, it's trashy. It, you know, it, it could have been good if it just had a revision in it or if it had another perspective on the story. Uh, the editing is terrible. That, that's something I cannot forget. The editing in this film is awful. Yeah. Uh, and he's doing it himself. And I, I, I'm going out on a limb saying this. Like, he cannot edit for, like, for his dinner. 
particularly on a story at this scale. Yeah. Where you kind of need somebody again there. Well, it's, it also helps to have a separate pair of eyes to like look at a project and be like, all right, you're too close to this. Like, especially when you are a writer and director to, mm. to know like what you need to cut from this. So and, like there's directors that, do, that can do that. Like Robert Rodriguez did it for years. Yeah. And like his films are like, you know, sorry, some of his films are shit, but like he, you know, El Marignacci's good and he wrote, directed, edited and shot that whole thing himself. Mm. And it doesn't have like a lick of, uh, you know, that same idea that Capone has that like, uh, I want to protect this for myself and this is my creative vision mm-hmm. type deal. It's, it's, it's a very well, well-rounded film that's made on a string-type budget. So the editing just has to be sharp and to the point. But Capone, again, it feels like it was like, a, you know, they had money, they had the actors for it, they had all this stuff. So it was basically, well, Josh Frank was like, well, I can just use this as my playpen now. This is me finally making my artistic statement. And what the end product is of that is a film that's not only overindulgent in areas that shouldn't be, but also yeah. completely useless in other parts. I mean, fucking... You hit and you, it's it's funny that you say that because I did recently submit a script to you that's very similar <laughs> to uh, why that's an issue in some other fields. Mm, yeah, I've, I've, I've still to read that. Actually, I'll, I'll read that afterwards after we finish recording this. Ah, no, take there. your time. But yeah, no, what I've read so far, the script is, is quite good. Um, Thank you. Because I, I remember writing it and being like, is this good? Am I just bitching and moaning about something? And then I was like, well, yes, but I'm going to double down. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so like that's basically it. Like, and, and I think this is like the, the watershed moment because everybody was hoping, well, Josh Frank now fully has a creative project to himself. Let's see what he can do with it. Is he actually the people, the person that, like, again, like, I feel sorry for him because after Chronicle, everybody put the pressure on his shoulders to be the savior, you know, the kind of new, the new name in uh, Hollywood filmmaking, like, like a Brian Singer or someone like that, you know? Oh, <laughs> Brian Singer in in the uh, before everything came out about him, you know. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, everybody well, thought he was. That's the, better. <laughs> not really, but like still, like it, it's just that like. Well, it's certainly Singer, not worse. Uh, let's put it that way. Basically, became a savior for a lot of studios and a lot of you know with with, with the with X Men and stuff like that. He kind of mm. brought life into the superhero genre and put the butts in the seats and all that shit. At what price, you know, clearly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but, but yeah, everybody thought Josh Trank could be like that kind of watershed moment where are we looking at uh, a next, you know, A-list director in our mm-hmm. field? And what Capone has kind of proved is that there's still like a chance there. Like there's still substance there, mm-hmm. but it's not like just it's not this guy not <laughs> it's not even that it, it, i'm not even giving up on josh trank i just feel like he needs to take a step back and reevaluate mm. his uh his direction with going on things because mm-hmm. he is a good he is a good visual director for a lot of this film he does have good you know the, the lighting and the cinematography are great in this film and even though that's down to peter deming josh trank clearly has an eye for stuff in it as well. They clearly mm-hmm. some of his ideas are brought into it. Um, but the, the actual like writing part of it and being like a, the, the hugely big creative force, I don't think he's there yet. Mm-hmm. So for his next film, I'd, I, I'd suggest he just goes out and just does something with a group of people that he trusts 
rather yeah. than something where he could he can take it all for himself. Okay. Build a community of people that you trust, Josh. That's how you make. We know movies. you're that's listening. Say, that's how you make good movies. Like yeah. that's how, like really, realistically, if you want to make a good film, you need to have a good team behind you. There are people that have done it all on their own, and that's fair play to them. But more than likely, you're gonna need an extra helping hand there, and it helps. You're gonna have a bad time. <laughs> and that kind of segues us into the uh, the feature presentation of uh, yeah. This week. You've listened Kevin. to the B part enough. It's time for the A story, bitches. <laughs> what did we watch this week, Kevin? What Marcus, did we watch? Uh, for for the spooky season, which which we may have missed, <laughs> my week. I think, I think I think we overshot it. I think this this is going out the first week of November. Listen, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> I did expect- the maths yesterday, and I was like, wait, hold on, we've got another episode after this. They can't okay, expect we- like fucking fucking. <laughs> consistency from us that's not why they come here how dare they raising arizona is our halloween movie (laughs) yes (laughs) if we're going by when it came out yeah yeah it is um yeah this week we we revisited someone we we haven't looked in upon in a while uh george a romero specifically uh his 1985 film yes yes uh dawn of sorry Day, Day of, the dead. of the Dead. My bad. I did watch it before anybody tweets at me. <laughs> I did well, watch the clearly movie. Clearly you didn't watch it if you don't know the fucking name of it. You well, fucking for, asshat. Well, I call Homelander Highlander all the time and fucking I watch that show. I'm just an idiot. Homelander. Homerlander. Homerlander. Simpson. Homer Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> He's about to kill a kid in here. From the group of seven. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes, this week we watched uh, Day of the Dead. Um, Written and directed by George A. Romero. With casting by his wife, I think? I believe so. I think yeah. his wife was like on the casting. I don't think he, I think they divorced. I don't think it was his wife uh, by the time he died. But mm. she she was for ten years basically. When talking about Josh Trank there and talking about Capone, you know the issue that I said there was that like he doesn't have a community of people behind him mm-hmm. to make good movies. And for George A. Romero, that was basically the complete opposite because from nineteen but in a good way. <laughs> From 1973 70, uh, to 1985, basically, over 10 years, uh, George Romero had a, a very tight-knit group of crew to, that worked on his films. One of them was his wife. Mm. Uh, the other one, if I remember correctly, was the assistant director for Dawn of the Dead and the composer, for Day of the Dead and the composer for it. What's his name? What's his name? His wife... Um, who, what's his name here? Come on, uh, fuck. Uh, John John Harrison. I think he was another uh, close confidant of his of his team, and uh, the one and only uh, Tom Savini, hmm. uh, who did all these special effects and you know a bun- uh, acted and did a bunch of shit. I think he was cameraman for for a lot of Dawn of the Dead as well, just because he was there. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that that was like a, a a big group of people, and Day of the Dead was basically the the watershed moment for all of it. Mm-hmm. It was the the kind of the, the the ending of an era for him and that group of people. 
they, you know, they Sadly, made films yeah. together. They made films together, like so they, you know, sporadically one by one. But it wasn't really the same after Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, Day of the Dead is a, a 1984, 85 uh, zombie horror flick. Probably, in my view, is probably one of the best movies of 1985. Can I? Can I spoil something real quick? Go ahead. I fucking love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> this movie was so sick dude like if if you go back to to the episode we did on uh uh dawn of the dead thank you um it's good uh but we have we have like a few issues with it like for one uh the makeup is just they gray up the zombies and this film fucking hits the ground like that first shot of that town where all the zombies come out and some of them are like rotting and yeah fucking an an alligator comes out of like a post office like with a gang of zombies it's like what the hell (laughs) yeah and that basically you know i think i mentioned the last time i I did a a quick overview of who george romero was on the the dawn episode Mm. like just to to give a quick recap george romero was sort of the first uh for the horror genre of of diy filmmakers Mm. Uh, I like he came from he didn't come from the Roger Corman school of films which was a, a similar group of filmmakers at the time like from the late 50s into the 60s 70s and, and 80s and 90s uh, who were under the, the guise of Roger Corman that literally made films for fucking tuppence and released them cheaply as B-movies mm-hmm. uh, which Roger Corman did, did still doing now I think he's still producing movies till this day uh, and out of that we got like the new, the new Hollywood movie we got people like Jack Nicholson we got yeah. Dennis Hopper uh, and George A. Romero was kind of a part of that era, if not part of that school. Uh, so also, he has the exact same glasses as Miyazaki. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, he does. Yeah. He does, he does. That's so cool. Uh, <laughs> and he was uh, someone who started off at the bottom and just kind of fell into filmmaking as like a way to make money. Mm. Uh, he started off in a in what most filmmakers do. William Friedkin started off in it. I, I, you know, a bunch of filmmakers started off in it in the sixties and the fifties. In uh, television, mm. he was uh, the courier at the beginning. The courier of film reels uh, from a news station, and he worked up the ladder to be an editor at the news station. And that's where his creative uh, ability basically comes from that's where his creative strength comes from when making films because uh dawn the dead night of the living dead uh the crazies and martin all these films are shot in the titular romero style of shooting coverage yeah shooting a bunch of stuff shooting as much as you can with as with the limited budget that you have Mm -hmm. shooting the story shooting multiple ways of telling the story and then going into the editing suite and making the story up together. You have mm. like a framework script and an ideas, and ideas you pull down, and then it all comes together in the editing suite. And that's what basically Dawn of the Dead was, is a perfect example of that, where George A. Romero just had all these equipment. He had a set. He had was one place to shoot, which was the fucking uh, the shopping center. And he shot so much in there over like the number of weeks that he had you know he had like the fucking shopping center for like three weeks yeah and he had to shoot at night mm. and on uh on on, on the, the days that they were closed so they had literally from like what like like i think it was like nine o'clock in the evening to like 
5 a.m. in the morning. And that really shows because a lot of that like is is very limited interiors of windowless rooms and what you do see is all done at night <laughs> most of what's done at night and if it's not done it's done it's done very early in the morning yeah so for for dawn of the dead it's like it sure is nighttime of the dead <laughs> yeah so they spent most of their money on a helicopter is what we're yeah to say. Uh, god george did love his helicopters didn't he <laughs> he does love helicopters yes uh, and it was the, it was like the first big film that Tom Savini worked on. I know mm. again, I, I don't know where exactly he started on, but Don the Don the Dead was where he developed a bunch of techniques that he would use throughout his entire career. I didn't know that Tom Savini was the guy behind the special effects in uh, the first Friday the Thirteenth as well. Oh man! So this this coming into this film, you've got you you've kind of got like the perfect storm of creators kind of hitting their stride. Would you say? Yes. I could, I, you could say that, uh, mm. but there's also like a downplay moment because Day of the Dead, coming into it, is actually a departure from the Romero style. Yeah. Uh, like again, George Romero is quite is a is a is a person that is is a, his films are basically about uh, are satires. Yeah. Because that's the thing. Know. Like we we they're, pointed they're, that they're out. Big, they're big metaphorical. Uh, comparisons to be made about life in general about who we are like the crazies is a perfect example of yeah it's what the crazies is like one of the best films about the vietnam war Hmm. even though it never takes place in vietnam war and the vietnam war is never mentioned in it it's about the vietnam war uh and dawn the dead's about consumerism Hmm. uh and then day of the dead is (laughs) probably what I'd say is like it's a crowning achievement of all those films coming up to this point mm-hmm. because George A. Romero, uh, there's a great documentary. I just want to mention this now before I forget about it. I have it open in my tabs here. There's a documentary on YouTube called The World's End, The Making of Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. And it's about the making of Day of the Dead. And they had a three, after Dawn the Dead was such a massive hit. It was a massive hit in, all over the world. You know, uh, it was a, you know, the Italians had it like uh, Dario Argento was a producer on the film and he got that to Europe and it was a massive hit in Europe and it was a massive hit in like Japan and it was a massive hit in America of course Mm. and and what's funny about Dawn of the Dead is that like it has because of the editing process for it there's like five different cuts of the movie wow one of them is the Italian cut the other one's the fucking uh, George A. Romero cut the other one's the director's cut the other one's the theatrical cut so there's so many cuts of it. I think there's a Tom Savini cut as well mm. they just gave him like hey just do your own cut of the fucking film everybody else is doing one you might as well <laughs> uh, but, yeah and what happened after that is that he kind of got he, he got a chance basically where he signed this three deal uh, this three movie deal with uh, the production company for Day of the Dead who I can't remember the guy's name he's some ah fuck uh, he's some uh, Arab <laughs> uh, film producer at the time, kind of like the Mahakam Golans of, and Canon films, mm. you know. Uh, I know they're, they're Israeli, but you know what I mean? Like a bunch of... Uh, oh, yeah. Salah uh, Hassim became, uh, became the executive producer and he's the producer of the company mm-hmm. that would fund George A. Romero's next two films. Yeah. Uh, they signed a three-movie three deal on the basis that George A. Romero would make a new zombie movie, would make a day movie. Mm-hmm. or sorry a, 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 yeah no a day of or a, a, a dead movie but a, at some point in the deal and out of that George A. Romero got two films he got the movie Knight Riders yeah and he got Creepshow 
mm-hmm. which he co-wrote with Stephen King. Wow. Yeah, you don't know Creepshow? No, I've never even heard of it, man. Creepshow's kind of like uh, Stephen King's version of The Twilight Zone. Huh. Weird. Where, like, it's like, yeah, it's like uh, George Romero directed it. It was uh, like a couple of vignettes, like a, like side stories. Mm. It's like an episode of Twilight Zone where like, it's, it's different short stories about these weird events that happen. Uh, yeah, Creepshow's good. Creepshow's not bad at all. Um, we'll yeah, have to revisit Riders. it for uh, Romero season. Yes, uh, and Night Riders, which was a very early film for Ed Harris. Mm. Uh, yeah, so Night Riders didn't do well, uh, and Creepshow was a hit. It was and still a hit now. Like people really like Creepshow. It got a sequel and everything. Mm-hmm. But neither movies really made big money because of uh, issues like Night Riders, which was just not a hit. Yeah, and then Creepshow was distributed by Warner Bros. So they took a massive cut in the profits. Mm-hmm. So at the end of it, like neither film had made much money for the production company or for Romero. And it came to a time where he had to make another dead movie. And the script for it supposedly was like Raiders of the Lost Ark with zombies. Mm-hmm. The first draft of it. It had like boats. And in the documentary, they show you like snippets of the script and you can read them. It's like, there's like a bit where they, there's two people fighting over a boat. And they're like, but you got a boat already. He's like, but I want another one. And it's like, it doesn't make any sense. And there's explosions and helicopters and planes and all this shit. Uh, and it, it, it would have cost them like double the budget that they would have had for for day mm-hmm. uh, if they had gone with that script. And they were willing to fund that if it wasn't a rated R movie. And George Romero's like, yeah, you can't have a zombie movie without being rated R. So get fucked. <laughs> So I'm about to change hearts and minds, motherfuckers. <laughs> so they had like $3 million for this film. And basically, they were basically back at square one like they were mm. with, with Don Dead. <laughs> because they had fuck all money. And they had, you know, t- a time frame to make this movie in. Because $3 million to make this movie in 1985 is still, like, not a lot of money. Yeah, uh, and spoilers, they, they kind of crush it in the box office. Oh, yeah, they, that was complete... Ten ti- they made ten times the money they were given. Yeah. But then again, you were expecting that with a, with a Dawn movie. I think, like, Dawn of Dead made, like, yeah. 50 million. Well, that's the thing as well, isn't it? There, there's that theory that in economic booms, vampire movies do quite well, whereas in recessions, like in 1985 zombie films for some reason perform very well but in saying that like that hasn't really been proven no it's it's last, just it's just last, like in the last decade yeah in the last decade because we still had like the walking dead's on the end now mm. even though that's a fucking it's a shit show it's a complete shit show now we haven't had really a vampire flick uh the toilet came out at the time when like the crash happened yeah you know, like, cause that's, that's it's kind of a weird, weird state of affairs. We're in the twenty first century. Hmm. Maybe Anyways. people just don't like vampires. <laughs> Maybe vampires are just gonna have vampires. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Some of, uh, Make a remake uh, of uh, <laughs> Near Dark. No, don't do that. <laughs> don't do a remake of any good movie. All right, w- then just start the showing it again. <laughs> once the movie's good, just kind of leave it where it is. If the yeah. movie's bad, then you can kind of do a remake of it. I'll accept that. Mm. Like, Day of the Dead had a remake, and it's awful. It doesn't even take place in a cave. 
Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. D- uh, didn't Zack Snyder uh, do one of the... Hey, one of the... Yeah, thank you. I was thinking, he, he, he did a Romero movie. He remade one. Yeah. yeah. That was all right. Listen, once you lose your fucking virginity to my movie... <laughs> Guys, 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 guys. Zombies kill now, okay? Listen, maybe in your fantasy world, zombies and Batman don't kill, but in the real world where they both exist... <laughs> no, it's Batman. It's just like, yeah, but... <laughs> Zach, Batman's not real. <laughs> Bring it back to your later, baby. Yeah. Bringing it... I don't know why. I think literally the only period, the only two people in the world that want Jared Leto to be the Joker are Jared Leto and Zack Snyder. <laughs> I think that's it. Nobody else wanted it. Listen, Jared Leto was probably the worst oh. person to work with on that set because he just did. Because that was the thing. Who was it that played uh, Amanda Waller in that? Oh, yeah, she... you, you, you went there for a second. Sorry. Um... Jared Leto's the worst person to work with. Yeah, yeah. Um, who was it that that um, played Amanda Waller in Suicide Squad? Um, um, your woman out of fences. Yeah, hang on. Um, it's not important. But anyway, gonna, I was going to say Taraji B Henson, but that's wrong. Yeah, but she uh, basically woman, she said she said loads of things. Yeah, she uh, she said that like the the whole pig thing and uh, like basically. Viola Davis. Bro- Thank you, Viola Davis. I feel so bad Viola for not Davis. remembering her name. Yeah, so do I. It doesn't matter. It's yeah. Um, <laughs> but she, she was kind of the first person to quote that he was doing all this crazy stuff. And immediately people were like, oh, man, he's gone completely method. He's, he's, he's really pulling a, a, a Heath Ledger on this. But here's the thing, right? Heath Ledger, as far as I know, did not actively try to ruin his castmate's day. Like, when he... Like, well, Heath Ledger didn't actually... Like, when, when we say you go on method acting, yeah? Yeah. There's several ways you can do that. Mm. Uh, and then there's several... There's ways that you can't do that because you're not trained. Like, Robert De Niro, when he was doing roles and stuff like that, he would research meticulously... Mm. And then he would, you know, go through the mindset of everything. And that's where all these things would come from. And Heath Ledger kind of took that approach as well, where he would research the kind of role he wanted for it. And then he would go into the character and create a a completely internal world for himself. Just like the Joker, when Heath Ledger was on set, he would switch the Joker on and off. Yeah. And the thing that he would have with him to to, to kind of reinforce the Joker premises, he had a book. And the book had all these like thoughts and shit for the Joker, yeah. Mm. He didn't go around the set like I didn't send like Christian Bale like a fucking box of feces. He didn't. He didn't actually blow up a hospital. Like that's the no. thing. If you're gonna do method Joker, right? And you're gonna do that. You're gonna send someone a box of bullets or a used condom or a dead rat or just drop a suckling pig on on a table reeds table and not show up. If you're going to go that method, you might as well start killing people because at that point, you're just pussyfooting out of it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't even know, like, because the character doesn't even do any of that. In the no! <laughs> like, Why did he fair, think that was a thing? If he was, if he was like, working towards something that, that had to be done in the film, therefore, yeah. he was, like, reproducing it in real life, which is what method acting is. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis saw the ghost of his fucking dead father when he did Hamlet. Like, 
it's it's that's sorry we we're not talking about the movie now but it is it's important to know and then you have someone like robert pattinson going you don't really hear about people method acting when they're playing like a real prick never when they're playing someone nice and he's got a point we never heard about tom hanks doing like fucking selling his own kidneys to to the poor when he was playing Mr. Rogers, you know what I mean? Like, you don't hear about well, that well, shit. I don't think Mr. Rogers was a method acting approach, to be honest. If you want to say, like, Tom Hanks method acting approach, you, you could probably go and talk about Philadelphia. Yeah. Well, you know Where what I mean? Like, just, like, playing someone really, just really nice and pleasant. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I no mean, one like, gets method for that. But whenever they're playing a fucking asshole, they're like, cool, I better start sending used condoms to I people. I mean, I, like, I think on our uh, Rage and Bull review, I talked about how, like, Robert... De- now, I then this is the rumor, but, like, yeah. how Robert De Niro pulled up on the set of uh, Karen Branagh's Frankenstein movie hmm. with, like, pictures of, like, sutured dead bodies that he had from morgues that were, like, fresh. Mm-hmm. That were, like, fresh pictures that were only taken... And like <laughs> Kenneth Brown was like, where the fuck did you get this from? He's like, oh, I know a guy. <laughs> don't worry about it. Like that's cause for alarm. I'm sorry. That would be like, I don't want to work with this person because they're clearly fucking unhinged. Like think yeah. about it. In any other like work setting, if I went to work and I did that shit, right? Like if I had if I had a job where I had to deal with that sort of stuff, I would quit. I would immediately be like, this is very inappropriate. It's very unprofessional. And I do not agree with it. Anyway, Day of the Dead's pretty good, isn't it? So Day of the Dead, there's a lot to talk about with Day of the Dead, actually. That documentary is pretty amazing. And the reason why I like Day of the Dead, probably over every other Romero film, except for the crazies. I mean, those two are kind of up there for me where when it comes to Romero movies. Uh the reason why is because not only was a diversion from the, the norm where they didn't actually shoot the, they didn't actually shoot the film like they did with Don, where they shot coverage and then mm. made the film the editing room. They actually had a crafted script where like when he when Romero took all the shit out of the <laughs> took all the action shit out and you know, and you actually read the script is actually like on point for what he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. The film looks great. The film has fantastic set design and it doesn't even have set design. It has fantastic production design. It has fantastic uh, acting performances. Mm. And the script, I think, is probably the most impressive part of the film, honestly, apart from the special effects. Yeah. And I, th- I think Savini's best special effects ever yeah. are in Day of the Dead. Oh but my like, God. That, yeah. that bit of the, uh, the zombie. The head. Like- the the head first of all, but the the zombie that like gets up out of the out of the bed and all of yeah, its organs and all just and all fall, out. fall out. I was like, holy shit, that's amazing! Or later on when, uh, oh no, I don't want to say that because it's really really good. But there there is a particularly good kill towards the end that's super satisfying, but is also like that is oh yeah, the most gruesome part of the movie. Oh yeah. my god, it's amazing! Like it's yeah, so good. I don't amazing. want to ruin it because I want you guys to see it. It's literally the most gruesome part of the film, and it happens to a character that doesn't really deserve it. It doesn't. The guy doesn't really deserve it. He's just cannon fodder. Uh, I was talking about another one. I think uh, we're 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 getting our wires crossed there. But they're they're no, there's really two, good. there's two really gruesome deaths yeah. in it. So there's many gruesome deaths in it, but there's two in particular that happen one after the other. Mm. And one of them, I think, is probably one of the best special effects sequences in the film. Uh, and then the other one is actually pretty good as well because they're using the guy's live body. But yeah, mm-hmm. 
so the Day of the Dead, right, was a film basically brought on by stress. Jesus. And <laughs> it's, it's probably the most nihilistic, most uh, pessimistic movie George A. Romero's ever made. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is, is that he was kind of questioning everything about himself. Like he, was, he wasn't a spring ch- chicken at that point. And he had had a career that was like good, but had a, like a myriad of issues about it. Mm-hmm. And one of the big things that people always point at is that Day of the Dead is, you know, kind of subconsciously George A. Romero's attack on his restriction as an artist. Yeah. Um, and you can see that, definitely. But what he says, what it is, and it's the thematic purpose of the film, and he hits the nail on the head. It's about how uh, community degrades... Oh yeah. How how a lot what happens with a loss of community and camaraderie between people, mm-hmm. and in doing so, how does uh, how how do how does humanity survive in that way? Because it, once again, the monsters in the film aren't actually the zombies. The monsters in the film are the people. Yeah, because that that was a thing I really enjoyed about uh, Dawn of the Dead is that so much of the movie is spent with just people. Uh, mm-hmm. There there are so little uh, physical confrontations. And this, like we were saying, it really does get all that out in the last, like, 20 minutes of the film. Like, it, it just, like, goes full on, like, whoa, holy shit, that's really cool. But for the most part, it's about the tensions uh, of the world ending and what that does to people. And funnily enough, I think this one deals with the mental effects of that, like, a lot more than the previous one uh, yeah. It felt like that one was more about because you kind of have like a classic relationship in that. Film, uh, like what he said was, it's about the, it's about trust and the loss of community. Oh yeah, basically. And it's it's all the worst people to be in a bunker with during uh, a zombie outbreak because you've got yeah. like trigger happy soldiers and you've got uh, an ego maniacal scientist. Uh, <laughs> who's always who's always about like the oh it's it's all for the work and it won't matter if we if we prove this theorem uh, with uh, Frankenstein. You, you have the crazy scientists. You have the megalomaniac, uh, egotistical fucking uh, soldiers. Yeah, you basically have the dudes from uh, <laughs> Heart of Darkness. Yeah, basically, <laughs> and yeah. an actual literal Frankenstein, like Doctor Frankenstein. You have the worst people to be trapped with because tensions you have you know even that i want to add even more to that then you have the people who are the pessimists Mm. who are the two guys in the in the helicopter the guy with the radio guy and the the jamaican guy yeah uh no sorry not Rhodes. uh john and bill yeah yeah Uh, those two characters are like the pure pessimists that don't believe that any of this is going to come to anything yeah uh, then you have uh, also quick the, question: Are they in love because they live in the same camper van and it's decked out listen, quite I nicely? Think I, I think they're just two bros. I think they're literally just two bros trying to like survive. Because uh, they seem it, quite pleasant with one another. They just seem like very good friends, which no one else seems to be friends with anyone in this. And then you have <laughs> the the Latino guy who yeah. has lost his uh, masculinity. Mm. He's lo- he's lost what he he. The, the thing that like he's an army guy he's a guy that the only thing that like kept him solid as a human was his masculinity yeah. and because of all this he's basically put himself into a stress ball scenario where he's just completely lost all sense of who he is yeah 
uh, and who he, and where the world is. And then you have uh, Sarah, who's played by uh, Laurie Cardiel, uh, the the lead character of the film, mm. who is the only person out of everybody that believes that there can be a solution to the world's problems. Yeah. And she's the only one that's trying to keep a level head in this scenario. She's the only one there, right? That's actually clawed to her humanity. Mm-hmm. While everybody else is trying to, everybody, literally everybody else around her in this film are trying to get back some semblance of their humanity in it. She's the only one that's actually got her still. Yeah. She's and also it's dwindling. It's, it's also interesting because she's the only one that can see uh, all sides of the picture. Because obviously with uh, Rhodes, he's all like, I don't believe in this science stuff. We've got to be soldiers. And then dr logan's very much just like it's as long as the work works but she's just like listen these guys are gonna kill us if we don't show them something good and also you can't butcher their former lieutenant they'll kill you yeah. <laughs> like yeah. she's the only one that's not like actually insane yet. yeah and basically what the film is trying to talk about with all these different strands is basically about it's, it's not only George Romero's distrust, but... Also, the, how terrifying to be a woman. Like, the only woman oh, you in know, that and situation. That's, and that's great about that. And what happens, kind of like Treads, mm. in the same way, uh, how pessimistic it is about, like, human nature. Uh, threads! Yes, yeah, sorry. The whole time I was thinking, this is kind of like something. But what is it like? And it's... They're very similar in tone. Yeah, Threads Threads tone. is a good shout there, man. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, and they came out around the same time. Like, yeah, like they're Threads was 84, wasn't it? 1983. Okay. Uh, but yeah, like they, they both came out around the same time as each other. And they were both very critical about human nature. You know, Threads is about how to, like what would happen in nuclear blast and the disintegration of the threads of humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, and this film is about like, near enough the same thing. It's about like the loss of trust and community and this how distrust is placed upon big arms of society Mm -hmm. because you have scientists and you have the military and then you have uh the the, you know the regular people kind of caught up in all this yeah and it's about the distrust in all of those things, and it's you know it's about it's about the it's it, it's about the distrust of, of the Reaganite era. Yeah. About yuppie, about, you know, you can even point it to that, like, but like it's it's as a whole, what George Romero was seeing in at that point in his life was that greed and all these other things were happening around the or, or in, around his inner circle, mm. and what he was what he was losing, and what by the end of the day, the dead we had like with the crew and all that, what he lost was a sense of community. Mm. And I think it's also it's also interesting that the the surviving pillars of stability, you know, like obviously the military and science, have done jack shit for the average man because the only average people you see are zombies. They've all been turned. They weren't yeah. saved by the military. They weren't saved by like your highfalutin science. Yeah. <laughs> like they all dropped the ball horribly on this <laughs> yeah and the reason why is because they didn't actually come together as one they exactly they and they still off. fucking can't because they're also up their own fucking holes the opening of this film is great because it's a visual tour de force about like building up a world and convince like just telling your audience hmm. about the state of the world for these characters and it does it without any dialogue 
like I mean Dawn of the Dead did it with dialogue it did it with the fucking the new sequence uh, but that was kind of like where the world was you know if you, if you go through that the trilogy of those films like Night of the Living Dead is about uh, the panic of uh, you know of, of a cataclysmic event mm-hmm. and then Dawn is kind of the effects of the of trying to survive and then trying to hold on to something of your own uh, humanity, of your own empathy and your own personality. Mm-hmm. And then Day of the Dead is just the biggest, it's, it's like the existential angst of realizing that you're the only thing left of your society. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's slowly but surely disintegrating into madness yeah you, eventually you'll cannibalize yourselves <laughs> you cannibalize yourselves and like it's the realization that that's on the horizons basically what day yeah. of the dead is uh there is no survival aspect anymore it's it's every person for themselves and it's it's you're all gonna die yeah uh there's nothing you can do about it and like even the dialogue when there's the like, characters trying to be uh talk to each other like the dialogue in this film is so nihilistic Oh yeah, Apparently, like the man, the Jamaican guy played by Terry Alexander, his name yeah. is John in it. He's not. He's actually not actually Jamaican, by the way. He's mm. American, but he does a really good accent in it. And he got. I he, mean, could have fooled me, man. <laughs> he has a lot of like great lines in the script, and this is why I love the script in this film because every line of dialogue in it is supporting the thematic purpose of it. Yeah. Like literally, like not like all right, all right. There's dialogue there between characters, but the scenes drag along, like bring along the story. The yeah. dialogue just supports the question being asked to the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like, like Day of the Dead has like a really strong cast of just lots of people that like you weren't expecting. Like a guy Sherman Howard who plays Bob in it, yeah. is a really big standout. Oh my he's, god! Like, he's like... basically like he's like a, he's like a. a a silent actor in it. Mm. Like, well, Bob and John are probably my two favorite characters in this film. <laughs> telegraphing, the, his actual telegraphing of the character is pitch perfect. Yeah. Because he does so many things with his body, with his face. Yeah. That you don't, act, like, it's, it's, it's actually, like, brilliant. It's, like, that. Bob's, Bob's moments in this film are probably the most depressing for me because you can see that the humanity in there like it's trying to it's always trying to scrape up you see it with the salute you see it when he like he knows what these things are but at the same time he's just kind of going through the motions he it's it's really weird i don't know how to describe it it's yeah it's 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 like and i don't know how he got it like it's, yeah. it's uh, i can't remember what he said but he's in that documentary uh like you just talk there fill the air and i'll, and I'll yeah. tell you what he says about the character uh. <laughs> oh no um but yeah there's there's just so many like fantastic characters in this because obviously you know uh john being uh you know of african descent and jamaican he's already an outsider to these super militaristic like americans fuck yeah uh who are also racists once again making uh it's so that he's probably in the worst position possible in the apocalypse much like uh uh, Sarah's character, um, mm-hmm. and you know, just to just to revisit th- this film, obviously separates itself from from the previous one so much. Like we mentioned before, well, the, big, the big reasons why it separates itself from it, not mm-hmm. only because George A. Romero had this like story and all that, but he like everybody wanted a sequel to Dawn, mm-hmm. 
and there was rights issues. Yeah. So he couldn't actually bring back the characters from Dawn. I don't know. I kind of like how it's, it's a completely different cast. Like, I like every... We're always looking at a different aspect of the apocalypse and how that works. And, you know, to just put, like, one core group through it over and over and over again might be a little too much for me. Whereas to kind of introduce new aspects and, like, new characters and how this works for them with... with the only connection to the previous films being what you know about them. I really like that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, to- I, I, I totally agree. Uh, Bub was actually supposed to be a character in it. Mm. Just to talk about it now. Uh, he was supposed to be a character that was supposed to be only minor. Mm-hmm. And as his performance was that good, that they kept asking him to come back and do yeah. more scenes with him every day. Because it's, it's fascinating. Like, like, the character was only supposed to fool around with a gun and eat something. Yeah, but it's so interesting because it's the visage of a man, but the mentality of like a dog or something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, There's yeah. just it's something co- very, very innocent. Yeah, that you connect to with Bob immediately, and he kind of has this connection with Frankenstein. He was a mime. Yeah. Really? But basically, the, the guy, the guy, the actor was a mime. Yeah. Uh, he had my like he had mime experience, but that also comes out as well. Hmm. That where that you know the kind of like I said it's kind of like a silent movie performance in it. yeah and I, it's like, a, and, it's like a silent movie monster it's kind of like you know the like uh, original Phantom of the Opera he's kind of like <laughs> Frankenstein's monster you know what he's I mean Frankenstein's monster but like he's also like a he's like a gentler mm. character I mean yeah. like in the the original text like Frankenstein doesn't want to hurt anything he just wants to be accepted um mm-hmm. like obviously there there's some alterations to the narrative here but I think w- one thing that I really really liked about this one that I didn't see as much of in the previous film is that a lot of the zombies tell a story just by like looking at them there's one that stood, stood out to me later on when the base gets overrun and it's just a dude in a tuxedo yeah, um, like, and he's got like all the the moss coming out of his. Yeah, <laughs> like in war. That's great as well. Yeah, that's that's what we mean. Like when I when I said Tom Savini, like yeah. this is the best film he's ever he's ever kind of had for special effects because every zombie in it had like a, a personalized look, mm-hmm. and the personalized look kind of shows where they were at the end of their lives. Yeah, there there was like one like this woman in like this big puffy dress with like a bonnet. And she looks like she's from, like, the 1800s. And it took me a minute. I'm like, why would that be? And then it's like, was she doing, like, Shakespeare in the Park or something like that? Yeah, and yeah, it, exactly. That's where yeah. she got turned. And then you just have, like, the regular, like, street clothes. But there are so many, like, if you actually, like, look and pick one out. There's one of, like, a kid. And he's in, like, a football helmet. And yep. you're just like, well, well it, it's just one of those things, like, in something like The Walking Dead, they're, they don't have that. They're just all the same. They're just all walking corpses. And while visually, you know, it's very impressive, like the special effects at the same time. The scope of it is impressive. Yeah, there, there's nothing there there's to... There's not a lot of detail. Yeah, there's nothing that tells me what was happening to this person before. Like, obviously, famously, um, you have uh, the zombie in the tank in the first episode, which, according to the guy playing him, Sam Witwer, they were going to revisit later on. And, you know, you were going to find out... Well, they didn't because uh, yeah. <laughs> because uh, they they gave the showrunner the sack. Yeah, sadly. Um, I mean, like Sam Witwer was fully on. Like, hey, that was pretty fucked up. Let me tell you about all the cool shit he wanted to do. Um, yeah. 
which big up Sam Witwer, you know, like f- put his career on the line just by standing by his friend. Like that's pretty yeah. fucking cool. Um, uh, but no, that's I'll the thing. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, 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 there's a lot of detail in this movie. Yeah, stuff you would from. find superfluous, but at the same time, you're just like, no, these were like, this is how you humanize these shambling yeah. corpses. And that kind of that kind of brings across the contrast then, because of the fact that these people are clearly just former people that are mindless drones. They're not really the enemy of the movie. That's what mm. they're trying to say by doing that. Uh, but also, you've got uh, you've got like a a huge tone and a, and, a, and a huge feel of uh sophistication in the writing and the producing of the film mm. that makes it heads and shoulders above the rest yeah um, even, even the other dawn movies or your day the dead movies you know like uh, i'm even looking now at like so i wanted to find out what the best horror film of 1985 was and this one baby <laughs> this one is the it like I, i'm sure there's probably other films from other countries here but the one that's that google the examples that google are giving me life force which was directed by the guy who made a texas chainsaw massacre toby hooper mm-hmm. uh that that weird sci-fi horror movie by canon um fright night the original fright night okay uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Okay, yeah, it's definitely this one. <laughs> uh, I'm not even done. I, here's the, the zingers coming up. Uh, Larry Cohn's The Stuff, which was that weird uh, body horror movie about like marshmallow fluff that turned people into like disintegrated people. Yep, definitely and this then, one. And then the one that I, I thought was interesting. I thought this, this film came out in 1987, but I'm wrong. Mm. Return of the Living Dead came out in 1985. Wow. Only one of two films directed by uh, alien screenwriter Dan O'Bannon. Oh. Yeah. So, is it any good? Uh, Return to Living Dead is great, but it's more of a, it's more of a black comedy. Yeah. Uh, it's not as good as Day of the Dead. I mean, like, listen. It's, it's nowhere as good as Day of the Dead. But yeah, it's, no. It's, it's pretty solid. It's pretty solid. Like, it is a pretty solid movie. For Second place. It's like a second place for 1985, yeah. I mean, when, when you're competing with this, like, fucking... Yeah. <laughs> uh, so here's the backstory of the film. This is the bit that I actually want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, so the movie, the, the whole film is supposed to be shot in this, like, cave, this, like, military-based cave, yeah? Yeah. And the only place that was available to get what they wanted from it, yeah, was a salt mine. Huh. So the salt mine... It was in the middle of fucking, in a desert area in the middle of nowhere. The salt mine existed. And the reason why in the film, there's all these RVs and caravans and boats and stuff the characters are walking around, that's because the place was actually being used for storage. (laughs) Cool. It's a storage area for people to put their their family heirlooms and stuff during uh, the winter months. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's why the, there's a bunch of shit around. Uh, they, they also, they found, while they were making the film, they found like a hive, like a, a part of the cave that was full of like uh, cheese and dried meat. Somebody mm. was using the salt mines to cure their, their uh, Italian food goods in it. And the mine is like, it's like 12 miles deep. It's like huge and the the thing that the whole rule of the of the set was that when they were shooting it they had to you had to be in the in the in the in the guise of the lights you had to stay in the 
the lit parts of any corridors or any shafts that you go into. Mm-hmm. If there was, you don't go near the dark places because quite literally you could walk off in a direction, not knowing where you are and fall down like hole Jesus. and never be seen again. Um, the set, the, the entire interior set, the bits with the rock face in it and the hallways, they're actually real. Mm. They had, that was a government installation that had to be built. Uh, I think for, I don't know, nuclear testing or whatever, but they had to build like parts of that into the rock face of the wall. And they had that place for themselves for like months. Mm. The, just them, just the crew. Uh, the issue was is that they actually didn't get to, like the characters in the movie, uh, they didn't actually get to go out into the sun much mm-hmm. uh, for the shoot because of all the movie's interiors, yeah? And what that caused was actually like basic, something very similar to what happens in the film where there was a lot of infighting between people and people were actually getting pissed off at others because they couldn't get out to the sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was actually like a lot of really big tension with the film which is kind of ironic judging by the fucking the way that the film is yeah uh the scene the the, the scene that we won't talk about but the the scene with joseph palato where he, he has the titular line uh joke on it uh the, the 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 meat that's used the the human meat that's used in that scene yeah mm-hmm. that's supposed to be the last thing they are meant to shoot that scene <laughs> That was the last, the last interior scene they had to shoot. It was like they had like a, like two weeks left on principal photography. Uh, it was supposed to be this big thing. Oh, it was supposed to only take two days to shoot. Yeah. Um, and Tom Savini had bought all this uh, surplus meat and offal, <laughs> which is what he used for a lot of the body parts in the film. Uh-huh. And he left it in the fridge and somebody turned off the fridge. Oh no! And they gone. They, it's, well, actually, what happened was he had to take a break. They could, like they took a two week break or something in between. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Well, we're nearly done principal now. We'll go back and finish the scene. It'll take us a couple of days to shoot it." And mm-hmm. when they came back to the fridge, all the meat was gone off, and they didn't have any meat like to replace it with. So they had to use this, the meat to shoot the scene. Oh, and they said, uh, George Romero, Tom Savini, the man uh, Joseph Pilato. Everybody that was on that set said that they couldn't, that they, they still remember the smell of that meat, of, of the stuff. Oh, God. It was rank. It yeah. was, like, terrible. Uh, Joseph Pilato says that it scared him. That he was like, I just, I, uh, I, I couldn't eat meat for, like, months after that. You, yeah, so you bad. wouldn't, like, fucking hell. Fair play to them for powering through that scene. That, that kind of been, uh, kind of been fun. Uh, but yeah, like there's a lot of tension on the set. And then afterwards, I think now uh, Laurie Cardiel, who plays this. Hmm. Oh, did we... I'm Sorry. not sure she was in other things, but this was the one that was like the known one. And her Sorry, father... can you repeat that? We lost you for a sec. I was talking about Laurie Cardiel, the, yeah, the okay. lead actress in the film. Yeah. Uh, her father was uh, one of the big contributors to the script of sorry not the, the script to the uh, producing money for night of the living dead mm-hmm. her father was actually like a big uh, supporter of the movie he's also he also features in the film uh, as one of the news reporters uh and by the time that the day came around uh she'd only had three bit three three film roles at that point and she'd uh she'd uh 
graduated from uh, acting school and she, you know, this was her big moment. Uh, supposedly, because of the dust in the rock caves, yeah, she mm. developed like respiratory issues. Oh no. I think I think it's it's explained more in that documentary. I don't want to like, cut back to the documentary trying to find a bit where she says it, but she does say that she had like she she didn't have asthma before the the, the making of that film, but she did after. She had really bad asthma after, so she suffered the most because she was in the caves for like almost everything. Mm-hmm. Like she was in the cave for a lot of stuff, uh, and most of it was like salt and dust in the air. Uh, so yeah, that that was a big thing. Uh, fucking yeah, th- like there was a lot of uh, just long, long. They did basically at, at, at one point, everybody was confused at what time of the day it was. There's no natural sunlight because there's no natural sunlight, and they weren't focused on time. So they had actually got to the point where they just like bored themselves out mm-hmm. by the end of the shooting of it. Uh, but like, it's it. That's like the big reason why I like this film so much is because of just the like how do they find these things, how they use their funds to get and, to that point, and who contracted a serious illness after the fact. Yeah, and like everybody, like you know, never forget like the cinematography, the writing, and the SFX aside, yeah, mm. just this sheer baldiness of like trying to make a film like this and it coming out like this is brilliant and it's a testament to like diy filmmaking you know yeah it's totally the thing, it's the thing that like when we were talking about sam rami and evil dead 2 about the fact that they shot the whole film in a fucking gymnasium in a high school mm. and it comes out the way it is you know oh god it smells like socks in here <laughs> <laughs> it smells like sh- socks and shame <laughs> and an inability to do a setup. <laughs> Oh, only me? I'm on again. This oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Says nothing. Slinks away. <laughs> Mrs. Palmer words. I'd like to get down now. <laughs> it happened again. <laughs> it happened again. <laughs> <laughs> so, Marcus, uh, Day of the Dead. I, black and white. Black and white. Yeah, totally, dog. Uh, George Romero is dead, as we mm. know. I uh, passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, did he pass away? 2017, I believe. Yeah. 2017, yeah. Uh, his last film that he held behind was the sequel to Diary of the Dead, Survival mm. of the Dead. Uh, let's not remember that. Let's not remember from, for that film because I, I vaguely remember watching a bit of that film and it's not good. If you want to, uh, Diary of the Dead is okay. Mm-hmm. If you really want to see a good, like, found footage zombie movie, uh, what was that fucking? What was that one that was out a couple of years ago? I don't know, it man. Was like, it was like a Thai movie. Oh, uh, the Train to Busan. No, not Train to Busan. Crazy Busan is a show as well. We should watch. We should review that at some point. Mm. No, uh, there was another one, found footage zombie movie. On. Uh, what was it called? Uh, okay, right. It's not wrecked. There was a bunch of zo- zombie movies that came out that were found footage. I, I remember that now. I just like, I just remembered that they existed. Uh, mm. But no, there was a like 2018. But like there was a there was one. It was called uh, Last Cut of the Dead. That's what it was called. Oh yeah, been meaning to watch that. Last Cut of the Dead. That's what it was called. Yeah, that's supposed to be amazing. Yeah. 
uh, from what I've heard. So Train to Busan's another show as well. And they, I think, they, 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 have they done a sequel to Train to Busan? Uh, I think it's like they're doing like a series of movies, like sort of set in that world. I could be wrong. Yeah, I think it's like yeah, I think it's like a follow-up uh, movie that's set like not on a train but in the outside world. I think. Mm. But yeah, uh, Survival of the Dead was his last movie. Uh, the amusement park was found. It was a lost film that they thought was lost for years. And it was released last year. Mm. About an elderly man that goes uh, for what he assumes to be an ordinary day at an amusing park, only to find himself in the middle of a hellish nightmare instead. <laughs> yes. That's, so, that's a fun chat. <laughs> fun yeah, note to end made, on. It was, made, it was made in like fucking... 19, it was made like in 1968 or something like that. Mm. I was made as I think it was a film that he made like directly after Night Night of the Living Dead. Anyways, if you can find that, go watch that. I haven't watched it yet. Tell us what it's like. Uh, please watch the day the dead movies. Please watch the crazies. Uh, I hear Martin's pretty good as well. Mm. Definitely watch Day of the Dead. Uh, if you're going into this film expecting like if you know if you like Dawn the Dead and you haven't watched it, you kind of like been on the back pedal about it. Uh, go into it thinking that it's not Dawn the Dead. Dawn the Dead is a really fun movie. Mm. You know, okay, yeah, it, it is a, a satire and it is something that's like kind of on the nose about society at the time, now and at the time, about consumerism and all that. But at least it has a lot of fun and like peppy moments in it. Yeah. Where like, you know, there's that bit where like a zombie, they just did a bunch of shit with zombies or people getting eaten by zombies just randomly. Like the guy who does the fucking blood pressure machine and then ends up getting eaten in the fucking blood pressure machine. No, it's left is the... The arm in the blood pressure. Machine. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, and Dawn the Dead. This film doesn't have any of that. Mm. This film is more so is about the degradation of society as we know it, uh, and it's brilliant. It's a masterpiece. I think it's actually like probably the, the greatest zombie movie ever made. Yeah. Honestly. I'm inclined to agree with you there. Guys, don't forget you can keep up to date with us across our various social medias. We are Nostalgia Whores on YouTube, Sketchtacular on Facebook. Uh, we are on Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, anywhere you find the good podcasts. I am at Kev underscore G or E N E on Twitter. Um, and Nostalgia Kev on Instagram, just in case you, you care to find that. I am on Instagram too. He's on M- the gram. M Rochford one. Yeah. Have a look. I'm going to be putting up some photography from uh, my first uh, dealing with the lockdown. And I'm going to be taking more pictures now during these next couple of weeks. So And I post an just basic bitch shit. I've posted coffees, vinyls, video games. I don't know, man. A ton of shit. <laughs> I just post my vinyls, but then that'll take me forever. Not like, yeah. That'll take forever. Just like, do what I do. Whatever album you're listening to at the time. Nice. Yeah, there you go. Uh, guys uh, thank you for watching Uh, we'll see you again next week happy spooky Halloween even though it's probably November it's definitely November when you're listening to this this. unless we do this (laughs) unless we release this one uh, tomorrow who knows who knows you just have to wait and find out I mean you will they'll they'll already know they're listening to it I I, I guess just shut up (laughs) Why do you have to take the wind out of my sails every time? <laughs> Don't you ever know it's you're my hero.